Pop Culture Affidavit, episode 111, Time Traveling Teens from Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around, I'm going back to comics, and I will be taking a look at an award-winning, incredibly popular series from the past five years, which is Paper Girls, the Image Comics series written by Brian K. Vaughn, art by cliff chang and i will not be alone for this as i will be bringing along my required reading co-host stella we're going to be taking a look at the series and review it just like we do on that other podcast so come back for that after this break But you don't understand, there was the high school episode and the future episode where they had a daughter. Of course Milhouse is in-game. Yes, and Lisa is so fulfilled in all of those. In fact, there's that Christmas episode where she's so fulfilled by him that, who is she calling? Nelson. You know why? Because they are in-game. It's almost stupid to even discuss it. This show has been going on for like so long that there's so many different future scenarios. It's like it's been 30 years. Yeah, that's true. That reminds me of Stella on her podcast, Backgirl to Oracle. She's had a pretty healthy run. How long do you think it will last? <laughs> Forever. Ooh, let's give Stella a call. Hello? Hey, Stella. Why are you guys using Skype? Don't you want a feed time? No. Hmm. Don and I were just talking about BTO and how long it's lasted. Remember when we were kids, you didn't think it would go very far? What? What are you talking about? Stella, how long are you going to do this show? Meh. Ten episodes a year. Would you ever come first? Ha! You won't make it that long! You a girl! Yeah, and girls have cooties. Gee, you guys really were supportive back then. We made up for it. By doing what? Mansplaining? And casplaining. Ugh. Well, anyway, 
2020 is going to be a milestone. We've got the 10th anniversary in December and, of course, the 200th episode after that. What are you planning on doing? Call and show for listeners will be scheduled in December, and the 200th is going to feature some very special guest reviewers, hopefully. Ooh, I'll be sure to free my calendar. Not you. You're, no. Fly on with Backroll the Oracle in 2020. back and as i mentioned when i brought the show in i am keeping myself in the comics podcasting realm this month actually my third episode in a row i did donna troy i did smile and i'm doing this series uh this is one of my favorite books of the past five years it is called paper girls it was put out by image comics written by brian k vaughn art by cliff chang I'm going to spend this time here going over the series, telling you what I thought about it. But I am not alone, because I have someone with me who, when the series was being published, seemed to like it as much as I did. And uh, from what I remember, she said she did read it month to month, and uh, and then went back and read it all the way through. So we're going to talk about that experience. She's been on this show several times, and she is my co-host over at Required Reading. Please welcome the... Tiffany to my Erin, Stella. <laughs> That's interesting. I was actually thinking when I was finishing up reading this, uh, my reread today, which characters we would potentially be. So you call me as Tiffany. That's potentially true. Uh, well, hello. Thanks neither for us having me. Yeah, and neither of us is cool to be uh, cool enough to be Mac, right? Probably not. <laughs> I would always say with KJ, like she has the sporty type and like mm-hmm. the person who doesn't take any guff. Uh, mm-hmm. So I could almost think, but yeah, I'll totally go with Tiffany. But thanks for having me and especially for this because i absolutely do love this book yeah yeah no i'm glad i'm I, we started talking about this a while ago and i think we were talking about this while it was still being published and then yep. at some point it was announced that they were gonna they were ending <sighs> 30 so we had said well let's just wait until this till the uh till the uh, book is done and that mm-hmm. was the book finished at the end of july of 2019 so not exactly a year. This is coming out close to a year from there, but we're recording this in, in May of, of 2020. So not an entire year. 
Um, it's it's not the longest of which I've said, hey, let's do an episode, and and, and uh, <laughs> I have put it off with somebody either uh, us talking about um, uh, Terry Moore, which is something we definitely are probably going to handle at some point, <laughs> um, and then and then there has been the ongoing, hey, we should do Deathmate that I have with Mike and Shag, but you know. <laughs> We'll see if that ever happens. So yeah, no, I'm glad you're on. I like. I also like bringing you in for for comics and stuff like this that are not uh, superhero related. Mm. Not that not that nobody would ever have covered this on a podcast. It's you know it's not like it's some obscure indie book. This thing won Eisner's, uh, but it is. It, we are so used to covering superheroes, yeah, that it's a nice change of pace and stuff. So yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of cover this a little bit. From the required reading type of style, I'm going to give my background on the series, um, our origins with the series, uh, the brief synopsis. Uh, we are going to keep we're going to keep the synopsis and discussion up to spoiler free up to a point. Um, the synopsis is going to be spoiler free, and we'll have our discussion. And I ha- we have a series of questions and things to talk about, and there will be a point where we say like, if you go beyond here, <laughs> we're going to spoil the ending. Mm. Uh, but if, if there are people out there, especially the you know the, uh, the few people who listen to the show, who are interested in this book and have never read it, I wouldn't want to spoil yeah. you know, the last arc. So so just kind of be warned, it will be spoiled. But I will do my best to um, try to let people know to be aware of of, of spoilers. Um, what was your background like? What is what's your origin story with this book? We'll get to that before I get into the actual details of how the book was published. Sure. Yeah. So I used to do mail order comics. I actually haven't for a while just because my pull list had gotten so whittled down that I was paying more for shipping than I was. Mm, yeah, and, I understand You know, that. the discount yeah. really made sense. But each time that I would go through the monthly, I would go through uh, the different, you know, Marvel and DC, obviously, but uh, Boom, Image, and IDW, and just see what was there. And Image is something that always attracted me, and there are certain books that I really got uh, attached to. And this was one that I took a chance on because I liked the the tagline that it had, just the little synopsis for the first issue. I liked the cover image, so sometimes that's what I gravitate towards, just like, what does the cover look like? Does it look like something I'd be interested in? You know, there are four girls riding bikes. I'm mm-hmm. like, that seems kind of cool. And then just the the tag for it. And so I took a chance on it. Wasn't expecting, you know, necessarily what I got, which is, you know, not a bad thing. But um, I think that was basically it. And then I had continued to put it on my pull list and got it and, and read it month to month. And uh, I was bummed when I heard it was yeah. ending. But I also feel like, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, that it ends really well. And I really wonder how much you could have dragged this on for anyways. I feel like because the writer ended it as he wanted it to end rather than extending it, you know, to make other people happy that it has a great ending. So, but yeah, so I mean, that's my origin there is just taking a chance on it and falling in love right away and being really intrigued and then continued reading it. Mine is similar. Um, what attracted me to it was the artist because Cliff Chang was on Wonder Woman uh, mm. at the very beginning of the New 52. Uh, Brian Azzarello was the writer. I read that. I only stuck with it toward the end of his, to the, all the way to the end of his run because of the artwork, because it was just, I, I didn't. In, particularly enjoy Azarello's story. Mm. Chang's artwork was uh, absolutely gorgeous. And I met him a couple of times and had him sign comics. And I bought um, 
he sells these, or I don't know if he still does at the shows. He sells these five by seven postcards that are famous album covers and movie posters featuring superheroes and places of the people who were on them. So mm-hmm. that's the one with the Teen Titans. The original Teen Titans has the Breakfast Club and Jean Grey, Wolverine, and Cyclops as Andy, Ducky, and Blaine from Pretty in Pink, and Storm. 80s Mohawk Storm doing the Janet Jackson control cover. Was Batgirl the the purple Batgirl ring? Batgirl the purple ring okay, cover. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so that so I, I had bought those and so he was he was one of the first creators I ever really met. Um, the, one of the first couple of times I went to the Baltimore Comic Con. So the last time I saw him there, this was. I don't think it had come out yet. I think it was just about to drop, and uh, and I was bummed that it hadn't come out yet because I totally would have uh, would have uh, had it signed. But I, I saw the solicitation, I saw the artwork, and I if sometimes image will with new books that it's really trying to promote in previews will offer a page or two for you to sample. Mm-hmm. So they'll have the solicitation, and then there will be a couple of. Uh, full pages, either sometimes with full dialogue and everything, sometimes just without the dialogue, and that way you can see like what's inside the book, which I think is a really cool thing for Image to do. And they only do it for the for the titles that are like premiering or have a big issue that they're really trying to you know they're trying to do the hard sell on, and everything else is your typical previews, cover solicitation. And I looked at this and and I looked at the concept and kind of like you, I was like, yeah, I was intrigued, and one issue in i was like this is really good and and i just it just kept going from there and i loved it i loved it from the beginning so as for the issue number one um and the creative team etc uh it was originally published on october 7th 2015 uh with issue number 30 which was the last issue coming out on july 20 31st of 2019 uh the writer was brian k vaughn who at this time was coming off the success of why the last man and saga and saga had been huge almost right off the bat at image i mean award-winning i honestly i I feel bad saying this i have not read it i I have to i have to go back and find the trades and and yeah i haven't read that either someone described it to me as game of thrones in space Mm. i have of course read uh why the last man which i very much enjoyed the pencilist cliff chang he had just finished that breakout run on the new 52 wonder woman series that was written by uh brian azarello and like i said chang's artwork was the best part of it matt wilson who uh works in kind of like it's i don't know if it's a two-tone it's not full color with the coloring but it's definitely um there's like a palette for each issue and the coloring in this book really helps make it what it is too. So I have to give him a lot of credit for the, for the art, for the art. And then lettering design is by Jared K. Fletcher. A fair amount of credit should go to him for the overall design of the book. You know, not just the lettering and and stuff, but the titles, the, uh, the covers themselves are, um, it's almost like they're on a card stock with, uh, with, you know, with nice paper. There are, posters like you know if this thing like you could tear out the back page of everything and link them all together to form a poster like on the back of special garbage pail kids cards or something (laughs) there's i don't know how what he how he contributed or what he contributed as far as um some of the extra stuff in the letter columns and the and and some of the other things but it really is like if, if he had something to do with the design and the overall kind of package that this book was um it was just it's it's such a great comic book in terms of like to hold in your hand and flip through. 
Uh, it is award-winning. It won two Eisners for Best New Series and Best Penciler and Inker. Uh, in 2017, uh, Wilson won Best Colorist. Vaughn won Best Writer in the Eisner Awards, in part because of their work in the series. In 2017, the first co- compilation was shortlisted for the Hugo Award for Best Graphic Story. And in 2019, Wilson again won an Eisner Award for Best Colorist for his work on the series. The series got widespread acclaim for all of the aspects of the book, but it was also favorably compared to Stranger Things, mm. which I think came out on Netflix. Um, I don't know when exactly it premiered, right around the same time, though. One particular review quoted on the Wikipedia page says that Susanna Polo for Polygon stated in her review of the comic series that if you're a fan of Stranger Things but wish the show handled its female characters or its queer coding, or its rosy-eyed love of 80s pop culture with a little more <laughs> nuance more frequently, you're, you'll find a lot to like. And that's a pretty fair assessment. Um, yeah. The, the, by the third season, the female characters in Stranger Things had definitely gotten a lot stronger, but there, mm-hmm. there is definitely uh, you know, some criticism there. So here's a brief synopsis of what this book is. It's generally <laughs> spoiler-free. <laughs> Good luck! I can't wait to hear what you have to say. All right. The book is a 30-issue series that ostensibly has six storylines of five issues. At least that's how it's collected in trade. And while I did collect it in single issues, and I know you did as well, Mm -hmm. but in rereading it, I can see where those storylines end because every fifth issue has a major cliffhanger, which is usually some time jump coupled with some sort of startling reveal. Um, and while I definitely share, will definitely share a more in-depth opinion on this later, I will say that it's a series that was really written for the trade because each issue reads very quickly. In fact, I think I reread uh, the entire series for this episode like in a weekend or so. Mm-hmm. So our story begins on the morning of November 1st, 1988, when 12-year-old Erin Tang wakes up to go on her paper route for the Cleveland Preserver, a job that she takes very seriously. Erin is a Vietnamese-American, tends to be a rule follower, and attends a Catholic school. As she goes on her route, she comes across three other paper girls who work for the Preserver and cover other areas of Stony Stream. That's their suburban community outside of Cleveland, some of whom she has met for the first time that night and whom call her the new kid. They are Mackenzie Mac Coyle, a redheaded cigarette-smoking tomboy who was the first paper girl in the area, as opposed to paper boy. Karina KJ, and I don't know if we ever actually get a last name, a Jewish girl who is generally the smartest of the group and who attends mm-hmm. the elite private school Brentwood Academy, where she plays field hockey. In fact, she carries her stick around with her <laughs> all the time. And Tiffany Quilkin, an African-American girl who has a fixation on video games, especially the game Arkanoid, and who has, also possesses some professional-grade walkie-talkies, which the girls carry with them throughout the series. They team up together on the morning of November 1st, which they call Hell Morning, because it is, after all, the morning after Halloween. And that usually means that at that point, there are still older teenagers out who are committed to finishing up their all-night spree of petty vandalism. Um, I Now, I can relate to this. Uh, the phenomenon of packs of middle and maybe even high school sc- schoolers roaming around in suburban neighborhoods shaving cream with shaving cream and eggs <laughs> was a common thing where I grew up. 
And and I remember in fifth grade, I got jumped by a bunch of them who just like splattered me with the crap. Um, never went out again. And um, but yeah, they would they called it sometimes they called it some of us called it like bombing people's houses or whatever the idea that you would throw them where you'd throw them at people who were out there. So it was it was not like you weren't out to commit like property damage. You were just out to just mess with people. I hated it. Uh, was this something that you were familiar with, or is it just like a? I do, yeah, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. Uh, I'm sure, but you know, I I was never out and about late. You know, my parents kind of had me in there, so I'm gonna say no, but I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it around here, to be honest. You know, Brett will go out trick or treating, but I sit out in a lawn chair in the cul-de-sac that way people don't have to make it down my driveway mm-hmm. and up the stoop and i'll just sit there with like a with a with a lamp and you know whatever and i only run into like even when it gets really really dark i might run into some older kids but nobody's just nobody's messing with anything so anyway so back to the synopsis sure enough tiffany and aaron and they are jumped by three guys in bad ghost costumes who mm-hmm. grab tiffany's walkie-talkie and make off with it Seeing that the Stony Stream police are going to be completely useless, the girls trace these boys to an abandoned house in the development, in the basement of which is what looks like a time capsule from a 60s-era space mission. Seriously, looks like an Apollo capsule. However, it is a time machine, and the girls find themselves not only on a time travel adventure, but caught in the middle of a war between two time travel factions. The old timers, who were the first generation that invented time travel and are determined to make sure that the time stream stays intact and their descendants, teenagers <laughs> don't care about the integrity of the time stream and don't care if their travels alter it. Damn kids. <laughs> After finding... Oh, boy. These kids. After finding the guys who stole Tiffany's walkie-talkie, and they are three of those teenagers, time-traveling teenagers, they get their stuff back but also swipe a square black box with an Apple logo on it, which is one of their time-travel instruments. But the boys actually prove to be more friendly than originally thought, especially when they save Erin from dying after she's accidentally shot at a point where Max's stepmom was attempting to kill herself because whatever the time travel war brought with it on the particular morning was causing chaos in the streets of Stony Stream. I'm not going to get into massive detail from here because what I want to do is try to avoid too many spoilers, but I will hit the highlights. Uh, the girls jump to 2016, winding up meeting Erin as an adult in her early 40s. They're thrown back to a 11,706 BCE, where they meet a cave woman named Wari and her infant named Japo, whom they save from three cavemen with the help of Dr. Quanta Bronstein, who were Bronstein, who invented time travel. From there, they wind up sometime after midnight in the year 2000, where Y2K actually happened. And where Timfiddy is a punk-looking 24-year-old married to a goth guy named Chris. And they also run into Charlotte Shuck Spaszewski, a cartoonist who met one of those teenage time travelers in the 50s and has been putting coded messages for them and any other time traveler in her comic strip, Frankie Tomata, or Tomata. 
tomato, <laughs> tomato, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Let's call the whole, the thing, whole thing off. off. Well um, this is before the final time travel destination, which is the far future, where the girls directly confront those responsible for the time travel war, especially the character of Grandfather, who is in charge of the old timers and has a specific connection to someone they've already encountered in their adventure. By the end of the series, they are central to the question of whether or not the time travel war will end, and all of them see various snippets of both their pasts and futures, some of the most important of which seem to be that Mac dies of cancer at some point in the 90s, and KJ discovers that she's gay. And there is a looming question, of course, of whether the four of them will remain friends beyond this night. So we talked about origin. We 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 both like this. So we're not yeah. going to be we're you know we're going to be gushing all over this thing. Did you have a favorite character of the four girls? Um, I you know it's interesting because I, I think it does a good job of focusing on particular ones and particular arcs. Mm-hmm. And so initially, I was drawn to Aaron, and I think. Mm-hmm. Once uh, the focus sort of shifted to KJ, I kind of shifted to her as well. So I think between like the four of them, those two might be my uh, top two. But like I said, I really did like KJ just like, no, I mean, unfortunately, you know, she did kill that guy. But the fact that she like went to action there and then at the medical thing, you know, she uses that uh, instrument, the scalpel, the electric scalpel to like protect. So it just seems yeah. like um, I, I think she might be my number one and Aaron would be my number two. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think I flip back and forth between them. I always really I liked Aaron through the whole thing. I think mm-hmm. she makes a good sort of. She's kind of a linchpin character for quite mm-hmm. a bit because you we start with her being the new kid, and I liked her interaction with her older self as well because it's just uh, and then Tiffany's interaction with her older self like when they when they have those moments, um, I thought those were like really really well done because yeah. uh, the way that they wrote the older versions of them flipping out over like seeing their younger selves and just the sort of like the, the processing they go through to do that um, I have a soft spot f- in my heart for somebody like Mac because I, I've i known quite a number of girls like that in my day <laughs> you know that's sort of um, I did date a girl like that in high school who was just this very just tough sort of you know it, almost a trope and that was one of the questions i had because like they it's almost like they set them up to be cut from certain molds mm. of of these types of characters like you know the tomboy and the one who's really smart and the new kid and the and, and then the, the one you know this one's tough or this one's willing to um but to me they seemed very quickly to go beyond just tropes and they became distinctive fully developed characters who constantly pass the Bechdel test. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What was your, I mean, did, was the, do you think that Vaughn wrote these interactions, um, true to how girls of this age, um, <laughs> 80s or not, would, would act with one another? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's interesting, and I know that you and I had talked about this before, but when I was reading it monthly the first time, I actually mm-hmm. had trouble keeping them apart. Not not, not like their characterization, but their names. I could yeah. just, like, I just forgot who was who for whatever reason. But this read-through, I was like, oh, that was so dumb of me. I don't know why I was having that amount of difficulty. But, no, I like how they're all distincts and i think that that is true that in groups you know that's kind of a click right there right that they've created this paper girl click um 
that that there are distinct personalities with it. And I do like how, though, there's not a queen bee. So I think that this is like a real, you know, preteen group where no one has outshone the other yet. They all have their defining characteristics. They each can get on each other's nerves to a certain extent. Some of them are trying to be more cool than they need to be. You know, Mac with all of her swears and everything. And there's a placator and things like that. So I feel like, yes, you know, especially that um, age age range uh the 12 year old i I think that it's exactly that sweet awkward spot and and trying to Mm. find out who you are and and who you are going to become and how you're going to grow up i think he really nails it yeah and um whereas like they, they did make the comparisons to stranger things and that is an ensemble but mike tends to be the leader yeah or get a lot more of the focus the other the other um ensemble that i can think of that has a male cast in this regard would be like the four kids from stand by me Mm. um but even then as that movie goes on it's very clear that gordy and chris you know will wheaton and river phoenix are the focus of the group or the focus of the movie whereas Vern and teddy who um you know who are there for a good reason and teddy's got his issues and Vern's. Vern um, are are the supporting characters in that, and I don't feel that this this is a true ensemble. I feel that each of these girls has an arc, mm-hmm. and um, none of them is taking a back seat throughout the entire thing. Because when you think that's starting to happen, then one of them comes up, and there's something they have to do. There's something that is they're not just kind of being forgotten about. Yeah, you know. As, as if Vaughn always had them, the idea that they were always together as four, and he didn't like, you know, start out with four, and then about halfway through the series, realize, <laughs> oh, wait, I, I like these two more than these two. Yeah. And just kind of, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. The only comparison I could make would be Pretty Little Liars, but they're older, mm-hmm. and so you don't really have that. Yeah. I think this is a, a special thing that we have. Yeah. I was trying to think of, of young adult. Um, because Stand By Me is, is based on the Stephen King novella, The Body, although it's not a young adult thing. And there are a lot of young adult, like, boys heading out on a journey to try to find something about themselves, either movies or television shows. Um, you know, uh, The Outsiders being another one, which is, you know, which is boys in a gang. Um, and I was trying to think of, of, of similar things with, with young women. And I, I came upon, like, um, that were more modern than, say, Little Women or, or some of the really, you know, older ones. Um, cause there was a lot more YA literature for girls when I was that age mm. of 12 or 13 than there were for boys. Um, there was boys stuff. It was usually military, <laughs> military or hunting stories were a lot of the ones written for boys, but girls had like Sweet Valley High and the Babysitter's Club and like a bunch of other things where that was like way more variety con- to consume. But, um, but I remember books like, uh, this was after my time as a teenager, but I remember things like The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Oh uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's like what immediately sprung to mind. And I've obviously never read it. Um, I think I was, even if I was interested in reading it as a teenager, I probably wouldn't have mainly because I, you know, it was for girls. <laughs> um, but, but I think by the time that actually came out, I was well beyond the age of somebody who would be reading that. So I was, it, it completely um, missed me until I heard about the movie. Mm. So, uh, did you ever read that? I know, but I've I've seen the the films. Mm-hmm. So, um, is that a fair comparison? This to to that group? Or? I think so. Yeah, it's still a bit 
older uh, because this is, you know, mm-hmm. pre-tween and that was maybe freshman or sophomore in high school. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you have equal focus amongst the four and they're all going through or this journey of self-discovery in, in whatever way that is. And they grow apart, they come back together. And so, yeah, I think that is a, a pretty good comparison. Yeah. And you were just talking about how we both read it into in individual issues. And, mm-hmm. uh, we're we're going to get to the the uh, some of the contents of these individual issues uh, in terms of how the books are put together in a little bit. But um, we were talking before we came on about you know how you can you were saying you, sometimes you couldn't keep the character straight. The other thing that I found difficult was with the time travel war. Reading it month to month got very confusing. Mm-hmm. They are quick reads. It's like I said, it's clearly written for the trade, which is not a knock. It's just the way things are. And so I would blow through an issue in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. You know, it was not a very, very tough read. But you know, you'd wait a month for the book to come out. And in some cases, between when the trades were coming out, like when the when the storylines end, sometimes they would take a few months off. Mm-hmm. And then you would come back, and I would have to go back and read, either skim the prior issue or reread it entirely to remember what was going on and what's going on in order to read this issue. But like you, I sat down and read the whole thing through, and I was like, oh, and it, it, it a lot of it was much easier to follow in the in that bigger format. Yeah. Did you find? I mean, even but even then, I there. Did you find the time travel war stuff a little confusing too? Because I there were parts of it where I was like, you know, trying to keep track of who was on what side and what they were actually trying to do. Yeah. Uh, no, I I think with time travel, it it just gets so complicated, you know. And I, I think that that's some of the the jokes now that whenever that pops up, you know, and like an animated. TV show or, or something mm-hmm. else like someone's got to make the inevitable joke of like time travel. It's so confusing. And yeah, there were several. It is a quicker read, I think. But there are several panels or pages where someone's giving an explanation that I had to reread it a couple of times to fully understand what was helping uh, happening mm-hmm. and to understand also like why would you see an old Joppo and then why was he that young Joppo and then the yeah. different, you know, the different time periods that were happening and the the language, which I, I see that's a question for later on. So there are it, it did get confusing. I feel like reading it holistically serves the reader so much better because I, like you, would lose story points or would forget what had happened. But reading it sequentially like this in, for me, it was three settings. I kept everything together. I could remember callbacks. They're going through the folds, which are still confusing. I'm still trying to work through some of those folds. Um, It works out. I, like, understood more of, like, oh, what's happening? Oh, now this is why he was talking about that so it works better to do a yeah i would recommend for people to well i mean the whole series is out now so we you have that gift but to to mm-hmm. really read them as much as you are able you know sequentially and well obviously sequentially but just you know in as little sittings as possible but i think it's just the nature of time travel that no matter how great the writer is i think there are always going to be some confusing points that might be a stopping point for you know some people like ah you know a hang up of i am not quite sure i get this but i'll keep on going (laughs) but yeah yeah um and uh subsequent re-readings of it you get more like you find more in it so 
Um, and for example, <laughs> can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I my first read through, I probably read, you know, the Hitchhiker's Reference, but not until this read through did it actually affect me because we had just read that. So yes. that whole thing about the ear, uh, the babblefish, sorry, the babblefish. and then the towel, I think that would have just gone over my head. Like I would have understood, oh, it's a Hitchhiker's Reference because they mentioned it, but now I actually know. So there's there's one of those ways of like you pick something up, but sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. That's that, that's good. There are there are a bunch of things. Um, I found it. The teenagers from the future speak in this weird oh, dialect, and yeah. it gets. It, it, it's both a criticism yeah. and a and a compliment that he's able to stick with this through the entire series. Yeah. Because very often you get, um, very often that's where you employ the babblefish <laughs> in order to. Um, in order to kind of break our confusion, you know, like it was kind of fun as a joke and then we, you know, then we're good. Or yeah. you get the classic, um, you've read enough comic books where the, in the word balloon, the, the stuff is bracketed in uh, some way yep. and there's an asterisk. It says translated from Spanish or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Um, no, he has <laughs> the Vaughn has the, has the teenagers and some of the future people speak in this very weird sort of like, I'm, let me uh, let me see if I can find some of it. Weird sort of of dialect that is it's English, but it's um, so in the very beginning of uh, issue four, uh, we open with uh, the older Japo who is in obviously in the future or wherever he is. He he gets woken up by a phone call and it's one of his um, one of his people and. Uh, called cardinal and the dialogue is i up cardinal here maxima for calls sir but troubles alistair's been unmoored and the masters what what did him have ghosted battered they may they may took in stragglers he says bloody hell best call down an editrix and editrix grandfather are you pause <laughs> Um, and then he says, quiet, can't risk another on sea day. She says, stood, tasking one to de-rhyme scheme now. Our killers can't run, but they willn't get far. So it's this weird sort of like 80s slang almost uh, with like a little bit of like reggae talk m- mixed in. That's almost like double, not double speak, um, new speak from like oh, 1984. Oh, gosh, like, yeah. yeah. And stuff, you know, it's 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 this weird dialect that, that like you spend time trying to wrap your head around it and he never takes the characters out of it unless it is absolutely necessary for the plot. Like at one point the, the kids do get the sort of uh, the, the editrix, which is... Um, uh, no, not, not the Edrix. He gets the kind of they get the babblefish type of uh, mm-hmm. type of translator. And uh, there is one point later on where Joppa is talking to one of his subordinates, and they start talking like in that in the dialect. He's like, you know, speak in old English, please, and, yeah. and so they can speak clearly because he's just like, I've had it with these kids. <laughs> so like, I kind of commend them for sticking it through the whole with it the whole thing. But it is like it it gets tedious after a while. It's hard. I think there's still one word that I'm not sure what it was, and it's some, and I mm. just was not sure, like, how is this being used? Um, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to work through it, and some of them are hard to translate, and you just have to get a sense of what's being talked about. But 
it's interesting because I think a running theme of this whole book is sort of, you know, the older generation always looking down upon the younger generation and the younger mm-hmm. generation resenting the older generation for whatever reason. And so there's this back and forth between old versus young. And so I can imagine that, you know, some people do look at, you know, this current young generation with their texting lingo and, you know, all of the abbreviations yeah. that they use. And, well, what would happen if that, like, spiraled out of control and that is what it is and then the old english that you know you and i know of like canterbury tales and all that turns into what we're actually speaking right now and there's a class on it because i remember jude in the last arc he says something to that writer uh i guess it was what year was that 83 maybe no it was 58 Mm. because it was kj um and he says like uh, it, w- it was supposed to be literally, but he says like literary or something like that. And, yeah. and then he said, that's what I get for not going, you know, dropping out of old English sophomore year. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's super interesting, but yeah, it is hard. And I wonder too, the weird script, I wish there was like a translation for that or like yeah. they printed something we could see. Cause there are some scenes that you just have the three teenage time travelers and they're in the sewers and they're talking and you're like, I don't know what's happening, but I'll just look at their facial, you know, to yeah. try to figure out what's happening. But I, yeah, I wish they, cause you know, Klingon or Kryptonian, mm-hmm. like people have figured that out. So there's gotta be, it's gotta mean something, but I, I just wish there were some way that yeah. we could have known. They're speaking in a language that is characters. Yeah. Um, in the same way that a, a Chinese or Korean or Japanese language is, and uh, yeah, I, I was I always curious. I have always been curious as to whether or not there was ever a translation for it, like a cryptogram or something. I don't think there's any in the in the back of the book or anything like that. So, or if if uh, the it, it, whose whose idea was it? Was it Brian K. Vaughn's? Mm. Was it? Um, Jared K. Fletcher's, uh, you know, who who came up with the idea for for that specific language, and does it have any meaning, or is it just essentially character gibberish, you know, um, you know, is it a nod to like the Legion of Superheroes, where they used to have Interlac, which was the which is the official language, which you know the and, and or the old Superman books where the Kryptonian would be there, and it's all symbols and stuff like that too. Or are they just having a little fun with with that as well? Um, I'm kind of wondering where it came from. For someone who might be interested in sort of the way linguistics and language work yeah. in general, um, even though it's on a on a very small scale here in a work of fiction, it's actually a pretty cool thing where mm-hmm. you're trying to decipher the language. And you're right with Klingon, you know, and, and other languages and in science fiction, we've seen people do that. So um, definitely pulling from the well of, of good sci-fi. Now, it's not a spoiler to say that. At one point, the girls end up in 2016, and they end up in, at the in, in in the Y2K that actually happened, as I phrased it, because it was January 1st, 2000, and everything actually died. You know, which was if uh, those of you who might be listening who don't remember why the whole Y2K idea very well, the idea was that um, on January 1st, 2000, all the co- internal clocks on computers and other electronics and things that controlled stuff like nuclear missiles, air traffic control, etc., were going to roll over to 2000 because it's a new century. But when they were programmed, they were only programmed with a double zero digit in the year in their you know in their internal computer software so they were all going to go back to thinking it was 1900 and disaster was going to ensue i mean there were literally time magazine stories about people creating like 
bunkers mm. and doomsday prepping for this. And uh, nothing happened. <laughs> you know, it was just one of those things where they they prepared for it. Companies did things. You, there were ways to... Um, to download programs to check if your computer is Y2K compliant and all that. And then, and January 1st, 2000 rolled around and it was just a lot of fireworks and celebrations. And it was actually pretty cool. Um, but as far as Y2K preppers and stuff, uh, yeah, for all I know, they're still hiding in their bunkers, but, uh, but we get we get that. Um, it's but they meet in in 2016. They meet they meet Aaron as a 40 something who's still living in Stony Stream, and is now a reporter for the local paper. And then um, and then later on they meet Tiff. Uh, what do you think of why bring them in there mm. aside from the novelty of you? Would you want to see yourself when you're time traveling? And and what do you think of of how they are portrayed? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is I like seeing this and then in the end we we kind of see KJ even though it was a am I allowed to say this? We, you can just say we kind of see KJ. We'll, we kind we'll of see to, KJ, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. In, okay, in, in the, yeah, because I see com- that there's like a, a halfway point of when we're going to start dishing yeah. out the stuff. Okay. Yeah. In, in, fa- <laughs> in fact, after after this question, I want to talk a little bit about the art and the design of the book, okay. and then we're going to get into the spoiler stuff. That's so. good. Um, so just future Aaron, future Tiffany. Yeah, so I think part of it goes back to that theme that you know I think we see between old and young generation and the fact that, you know, while you are young, you do end up becoming that old generation, which is something that Tiffany happens upon that idea in like the last third, the last, or the last, uh, I don't know, the, the last, how do you even say this? Not the second, the third to last. I was like, how do you do it? Issue where she is with mm-hmm. uh, those people and she's like, gosh, we, you know, we're all just, mm-hmm. we just become those people. So I think part of it is that, even though I don't know that they necessarily recognize that because they don't fully understand what this war is about at the time. But then yeah. it's also interesting just to see what those two, especially Aaron and Tiffany, what their life had been like and that Aaron. I don't know if we had necessarily been told what Aaron's dreams were, but I know Tiffany, didn't she say there was a threat that if she hadn't graduated MIT by a certain time? Wasn't that Tiffany? Yes. Okay. So, so. and and then to see what had happened and that, uh, you know, she went to business school and that was a train wreck and then she's just very different and having conversations with older Tiffany, you know, she wasted her life and Aaron being pretty... I mean, she's lonely since she has anxiety because of the drugs that she's on. Um, She has her only friend really seems to be and her best friend is her sister. So I think to see this what if situation and that both of these older versions lost those friendships or I guess not really lost, but just they didn't continue them after Hell Day. And I think it gives these girls an incentive of like, you you didn't have this. We need to really hold on to this because it's something special. And I, I remember I think Tiffany yells at older Tiffany and says something about that or maybe it was vice versa. So yeah. I think it's it's potentially that just like seeing that, hey, we all get get to be an adult but also there's something something happened here between what i thought i was going to become and what i actually become and maybe that factor that we lost is our friendship and so i think it gives them a stronger desire to hold on to that which is something that we really see in the last couple issues of this series yeah because in the second arc they start to see they got a little bit of a hint of what their future might be like in the first arc where they one or two of them touched the um 
the Apple device or, or that what they call the Editrix, which is this sort of weird brain looking, not even like an orb with a bunch of tentacles coming out of it. And, and uh, I know it was, it was Tiffany who, which I actually thought it was a very, very funny sequence where she touches the thing and then the, the entire, the panels go horizontal. Um, no, they go landscape, you know, in terms of what you're reading. And it's just her sitting in front of like a Nintendo playing the Arkanoid game, which is, uh, I think it's similar to the old game Breakout, where you have a, <laughs> a bar that you're moving yeah, yep. horizontally across the screen. And there's a ball that comes down and you're trying to knock out um, colored blocks and stuff. I used to play this. You, when you played it at the arcade, it was a trackball machine. So you were kind of playing it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and it was a... Uh, um, it's a fun game. It's a really addictive game, but like it just showed it was like four or five pages of her yeah. just day after day playing this game and playing this game and playing this game. And, and she's like, at one point, she's like, I saw my future and all I just do this play this stupid game and I wasted my life. I found that to be a very, very funny sequence. But um, they meet when they meet older Erin or she's near 40 or whatever. And it's kind of like, you know, like what would I, what would happen if like my 12 year old self walked in and like, how would I react? And I I thought, I thought it was written from a very honest place because at one point she's like trying to protect them by like trying to act like their mother or something like, you know, you can't do this. And they're like, uh, look lady. And then like another version of them, her Aaron shows up from like the far future. And there's a message written on on KJ's hockey stick that says like, don't trust future Mm -hmm. Aaron. And, and it all ends up paying off toward the middle to the end of the series because of the folds. We mentioned folds. There's these little rips in the space time continuum that you can jump through and it'll put you out in somewhere else in the, in the time stream. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and one of the characters writes, don't trust future Aaron on KJ's stick and throws it into this very small fold that ends up in the mall, the abandoned mall that they go to in 2016 and stuff. And, and among this too, because we've been talking a lot about the relationship between the characters and how these characters represent, you know, young women, but there's all this action that's going on and creatures. And like, at one point they fight these two, these giant, like, I don't even know how to describe these big, they look like big bugs or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big squishy bugs with like sucking mouths and stuff like that. And they're, they're fighting each other. I, yeah. It's, it's like something you'd see under like a microscope, you know, like they look like big parasites or something. Mm-hmm. And, and there's these big time worms and, and uh, at another point later on in the series, they're fighting these two. There's these two robots fighting each other. They kind of look like Shockwave from the Transformers. And I don't know. What did you think of that? That all this stuff was going on between the seconds of time, and then it was intruding on the world. And um, yeah, and it all came from them too. Yeah, because I think one of those bugs, or it was like the worm that was eating in the garbage can, was like something mm-hmm. that must have. It was like a maggot. I can't remember what yeah. it was, but that because I think who was that? Was that KJ? No, it was Aaron. I think so. Whoever it was, but then also made a joke about like, good thing I didn't bring lice. <laughs> yeah, it was Aaron. It was okay, Aaron. it was Aaron. Yeah. Um, no, it's interesting because I think it. We know that you know the butterfly effect. You can't go back and change something. There'll be an effect, but then you wonder about like what are you currently doing or like presently what what is the effect that you're bringing with you in this time travel so i think that's something that was unique to this because you only see i think the repercussions in the future potentially but this was like hey something slipped in with me and now it's wreaking havoc and i think that was 
unique and distinct to this book because we don't necessarily see present ramifications of time travel. Mm-hmm, that's true. And then we, we even go all the way back into the past yep. where Wari and uh, these other cavemen who are basically like one of them's the father of her young child. <laughs> one of the stuff. three, but we, yeah, one, we're told yeah, that all the, three had a chance. Yeah, and they've all encountered something that is like, I think it's like Professor Bronstein's uh, time traveling device or whatever, and it's changed them fundamentally. So there's something like, you know, we're even as far back as mm-hmm. 11,700 BC or whatever it is, uh, they're already affected by yeah. you know, all of this. Um, yeah, and we find out I, at the end that those people at the very end of the run, their trash that they were dumping through is the trash that like Wari had around her neck and all of that stuff that they were finding. So it was like all connected. Yeah, yeah. And the, the other thing I mentioned was just like, and this is a risk I think to take because when you when you have people from the future, when you have a time travel story that involves going to the future or, or people from the future coming back, usually you end up in that future. And when we do eventually end up there, but like to go back into the past is not unheard of, but to go back that far, you know, like dawn of humanity far it's not something we often see with time travel stories like this. And so, but I, I think they pull it off really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially since like worry as a, as both is, is a caring mother for her kid, but she's also like a real badass. Yeah. And she's and, 12 uh, years old. Yes. So I think that's old. like that connection because I think if they had gone in the past and there were only the older, cause those three cavemen, the men, yeah. I think they're clearly older. I think, because Wari has that age connection, it works much better than it would if she were older. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, before we go into more of the plot, because I'm taking us up to about issue 15 or so for the first three arcs, and then this back half of the series, we're going to talk about it, but we'll, we'll keep that in spoiler land. I want to talk about the design of the book yeah. a little bit, because it is um, the logo is great. It's very like 80s calligraphy-ish, mm-hmm. handwriting calligraphy. Um, one thing I noticed as I was kind of flipping around, because uh, I have all 30 issues piled up in front of me on my, ta- on my <laughs> table down here. Issue number one and issue number 30 are uh, almost are literal bookends yeah. as a sense because you have issue number one is a yellow background with a pink paper girls logo and you have a shot from left to right of Mac, KJ, Tiffany and Aaron looking from left to right, you know, off to the right, sitting on their bikes. The cover of issue 30, same color scheme, except now the girls are riding away from us with from front to rear, the same order of Mac, KJ, Tiffany, and Aaron. And I thought that was a really, really good mm-hmm. way to do a bookend to the series. Like, you know, here they are, and now they're, and now there they go. And I mentioned the colors and stuff, but I just, the covers are all, they're all two-toned mm-hmm. or three-toned. Uh, what did you think? I love the design of this. Yeah, the just the covers right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I love the covers. I think they are, they're almost minimalist to a certain Mm -hmm. extent like they do not go crazy and they give you a sense of what is in the issue you know if there's a a tiffany focus she might be on the cover they it seems like the arcs really tightly fit together so i think it was the last 
trying to think. I feel like it was the last arc. You have the four, and each of them is the four girls, and then I think anyway, and then this one. Uh, but so they kind of have a unity with yeah. with the arc and everything. But they're, I mean, they're just so they're flashy, but I'm still saying minimalist. But they're just so eye catching, and the color scheme, I love it, and it just fits. It fits the era. It fits the story. I yeah, I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. The last four, the first four are uh, the first five are the group shot followed by uh, Mac on her bike, Tiffany with her walkie talkie and a, and a skin knee, Aaron on her bike and KJ holding her uh, field hockey stick mm. with a bloody hand uh, next to her. The uh, the last five are each one is a shot of the left side of the cover is the girls like the right hand, the left side of the girl's face looking at you. Uh, with something in the background and like a in a to borrow a phrase from the Who's Who podcast in the surprint <laughs> of of something that has to do with the setting of that issue. So you have Aaron and KJ and Tiffany and then Mac, um, which I believe is almost in reverse of no, it's it's not completely in reverse, but it's very close to being in reverse of uh, of how it was, you know, from beginning to end. And then the end is the four of them riding away. So yeah, there's a, the two arcs, the covers even bookend. And along the way, um, they get a little specific to what's happening in the issue too. So you get images that like you'll see inside the issue, uh, but you're right. It's minimalist. It's like a single image. And, and Chang's art's like really good for that. He's detailed where he needs to be, but he's not like, he doesn't have to be like George Perez. <laughs> detail you know like sure. or, or that sort of thing and, and he can he can play with that but like you know his, the buildings all have like distinct designs mm-hmm. to them and and stuff now the book itself and um i have uh, I'll, I'll just grab an uh, issue six in front of me right here uh the book itself you have you know the the story and as you get to the end and i i have not picked up any of the trades so I cannot say if this is in the trades or not, but every single issue has a letter column mm-hmm. and it is not paper girls. It is the letter column <laughs> of the American newspaper delivery guild, yeah. the A N D G with Rita Pearl, the paper girl, or, uh, you know, there's a, there's a guy at one point yeah. when they're way in the past, uh, there's PD Roy, the paper boy, uh, and it's all, and there's all these things now. There are, um, th- there's like letters about what it's like to be a paper boy. There's like, um, there's, there's time capsule contests, there's fan art. And then as you get through after the house ads, um, you get to, uh, an image that if you took it out and you, and you put it together with the other images for the, it, it forms a larger poster and then there's a cover tease or the tease for the next issue the, the back inside cover it says the next issue on sale this date and there's like a very minimalist image um i love the design of that just how it's put together but i love these letter columns and i think as i was reading it i emailed you or, or texted you to tell you that i finally after my second read through i finally noticed that the letter column starts to change yeah as they go to different places in time. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so what did you think of that? I mean, um, it's yeah, it's really well thought out. It's it's because letter columns generally just like out of time to a certain extent. Yeah. And, but from cover to cover, the whole issue is like an actor on stage and is not leaving character. And so I think that's really interesting. And even the letters that come in, I mean, the people are writing in as if, well, some of them, I should say, some of them talk about like current things. And depending on the time period, the the narrator or the person, you know, like Pearl will say like, I don't know what Mm -hmm. an iPod is. But so, I mean, the whole thing is really well done. I mean, they just stuck to character. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's this full package of a comic book that you don't always get. So the level of commitment to this, and um, some of the T-shirts look they sell look really cool. Yeah. Right? Um, there's a there's one that like I'm just looking, I'm in issue tw- issue eleven right now, and there's one with <laughs> the images of Max standing there smoking a cigarette, looking yes. all fierce. But she, it's a gray T-shirt with Stony Stream in '88 Ohio beneath it, and in '88 <laughs> is the image of the girls, and that's pretty cool. That you have uh, Petey Roy the newsboy, but it's like newsies. Newsboy, the color of the paper is like old faded newsprint, and he's wearing like a newsboy cap, like from the musical Newsies. And it's for the first page, it's written of like uh, it's like written as if it was written in the late 1800s when it was first established. So it was supposed to be like the very first one because they're all the way in the past at this point. But then it kind of tears out to being in um, the present with Rita Pearl again. So it's just kind of like how the, I just loved it, how they were doing the time jumps in the actual letter column as well. Yeah. And having a lot of fun with it. So, all right. So I'm going to insert a spoiler warning here. Oh gosh. Cause if you are really interested in this series and, and what we've had to say about it so far, yeah. but you want to read it for yourself, I would say, uh, this is where you would want to stop. Yeah. And I will say, can I say something before you uh, yeah, move yeah, on yeah. your score? Just in regards to the art, I very much appreciate how Chang did Aaron because this is something that Donovan and I talked about recently on my own show, Backward to Oracle, just that mm-hmm. sometimes there's this difficulty, I think, with illustrating Asian characters that it can mm-hmm. almost be like a caricature. But I think it was so well done that there's like that subtlety there without like really over dramatizing the fact that she's Asian that I felt like it was so well done and a weird detail that I will say it's gonna sound weird when I say it but I just like how their lips are drawn it's just like they're they're always in like a pucker (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I always had fun with that but now you can get back to your 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 spoiler warning no you're right and and I liked how um to, to give Chang a little more credit too when you get um future Tiff and future Aaron they actually do look like their future selves Mm -hmm. But they look – it really is as if uh, – maybe maybe he had future, some reference from like you know a friend of theirs and a picture of them when they were 12 and a picture of them when they were you know 24 or 42 or whatever. When um, you know Erin looks like she has aged. Yeah. You know? Yep. And, and that's really – that's not exactly uh, easy to pull off Mm-mm. there. Um, yeah, same yeah. for KJ. Also, I felt like that was a really good uh, transition. Yeah. Also, the skin tone. Um, granted, it's. I've I read a lot of you know I, I made my way through the Nam, and which was had a lot of Asian characters obviously because <laughs> it was taking place in Vietnam, and I've read other books from the 80s and the 90s where there are Asian characters and the skin tone because the limits of the coloring process in comic books was not exactly the most flattering for Asian characters. For black characters, it was usually okay. 
because, you know, it was used varying shades of brown. But, you know, you go all the way back. You probably know this. You go all the way back to the 40s and look at Asian characters in 40s comics, and they're, like, yellow. Yeah. And it, because, they're, because they're racist. Yeah. Um, not the Asian character. Well, the Asian <laughs> no, character. It's, that, it, it's yeah. a racist portrayal. But, but by the time you get to, say, like, the 90s, the early 90s, and you're printing on slightly better paper, but you're using some of the same coloring methods that you've been using the whole time prior to computers being introduced – you get a lot of like weird pinkish to hues to Asian character skin. Sometimes you get the yellow hint of it. Um, so that's where I think that a computer coloring and the coloring methods of comics just in general have gotten so much better that we can have varying skin tones among across all races and it doesn't look caricaturish. But here, especially in this one, Eisner's for its coloring, and you can totally see why because. Uh, what's his name? Matt Wilson takes the time to be as accurate as possible or make them look as human as possible in terms of their coloring. Erin's not the Asian one because of the way her eyes are drawn and the skin tone. Like she just looks like an, like a 12 year old Vietnamese girl, Vietnamese American yeah, girl. Absolutely. So, so the, the uh, a lot of hats off to the coloring there. Hey, it's Tom interjecting here really quickly. This is where the spoilers start. So if you just want to skip to the very end of the episode, which is in about 45 minutes from now, which is me just kind of wrapping things up and telling you what next episode is going to be, you can. Uh, If you don't mind being spoiled about the end of Paper Girls, especially the last story arc, uh, just continue to listen on. It's a great conversation but I didn't want to spoil it for anybody who really wants to read the book and, and be surprised by the ending instead of having us ruin it for you. Thanks. Okay, so I w- there's a few things because I want to get into the back half of this, you know, and, and we've we've looked at where they go to Y2K and they, but they meet. Um, there's this whole story arc with them tracking down the the cartoonist, mm-hmm. and this war is starting to come to a head. And more and more things are getting destroyed. And like, you're right. They were, um, you know, they're fighting these two robots fighting each other and being shunted across time. But then the, uh, you know, then the girls find this, uh, this cartoonist whose name escapes. Charlotte. Chuck. Charlotte. Chuck. uh, Spaszewski. (laughs) And, uh, and, and at one point, like she, she pulls a gun on them too. (laughs) It it gets really, really weird. I mean, uh, what do, what is your take on 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 Chuck and what she has been doing the entire time? Yeah, this is interesting, and she seems like a throwaway character because she mm-hmm. relays information. The girls run away. She ends up saving them, and then she yeah. gets up killed herself. Uh, but then, of course, at the end, you see her and and how she and Jude and how this all started. So. She serves along with other people, I think, as a good information keeper to to bring mm-hmm. us up to speed of what exactly is going on. And at yeah. least it ties in. Well, like she's not out of nowhere because the the um, Aaron with the bugs eating the bullet or whatever was happening there. And uh, shoot, I can't remember. Heck, and I can't remember what the other guy's name was. Like yeah, reading the paper right. was that was like first arc. So it was see, it was implanted because Aaron had mentioned 
like midway, uh, there was something they were reading a newspaper and then later on it, it came back. So it was planted mm-hmm. well. Um, but j- her purpose seemed to just be like an information keeper of like, let me bring you up to speed of what's happening. But the whole yeah. let me turn a gun on you, I didn't, I still don't really necessarily understand why. Like, what would her motivations be of getting rid of those girls? I got, that's where it kind of lost me. And then she ended up saving them. So that was confusing. I think she's just, I don't know if she's just kind of gone too far. You know? Yeah. Gone a little bit, a little bit, a little bit crazy, a little bit Stockholm syndrome. She's been waiting for so long, and all of a sudden they're there or whatever. I wonder. I just briefly wondered if if the name Chuck Spishevsky is a a roundabout reference to Chuck Rosansky. Oh, interesting. Who was the founder of Mile High Comics? But, oh, interesting. You know, which yeah. would be I don't know if it is. I was just yeah. like, wait, what's the last name of the Mile High Comics guy? It's Rosansky, so it's close. And it would be kind of cute, mm-hmm. like you know the the person who's been you know the, the archivist of all the comics and stuff but for for all i know that's just me making a big stretch here but anyway yeah and, and that time in 1999 2000 or early 2000 is just chaotic in itself yeah. where uh where they meet that's where they end up meeting tiffany and the guy she's married to who's basically like this marilyn manson goth a bit <laughs> he's like she walks into her own house and they'd been having a party for like I don't know whom because it's just like you know maybe all their friends or whatever. The banner says "Happy Effing 2000," <laughs> and and he's sitting there and he's like clearly in like very light makeup or he's just very very pale with blue eyeshadow and and eyeliner and lipstick and and looking like you know yeah looking like uh, the crow or, or or Marilyn Manson or something that late 90s goth i had a roommate in college at one point who went full goth like that oh. would walk around just in black all the time and then tiffany herself in the next issue is like i don't even know how to describe what she's wearing i got to find <laughs> got to find the uh, Sorry, I'm stalling here. No, I'm trying fine. to find the the panel where she's on. Oh, she's she's got she's got like red dreadlocks, mm-hmm. like face painting type of stuff on her, which might have been for the party. Uh, she's wearing a like a a, a a tank top with leather with a, like almost like a a cummerbund or bustier or something like that or a corset. Very short leather shorts with. Um, thigh-high striped stockings, which I do remember girls seeing girls in in the early '90s when I was in high school, and I was she's probably wearing like a pair of Docs or something like that. It's it's very crazy alternative. No, she's wearing boots. Sorry, um, but it's it's crazy alternative style. I didn't even know how to describe it. It's just they're they're just clearly sort of an out there sense of style, and I and I I really chuckled at that mainly because the early 2000s were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that bad style. But as you know, as we go through this, they, they finally make their way to like the far future, which sets up the climax. And as we go through this, and we're going to get to one of your favorite things. I hope so. Cause I saw it was in the top half and you skipped yes, it. Okay. And I, and I bumped it to the bottom because I didn't want, I was like, wait, wait, it that's, is too, ship, that's too big yeah, of a spoiler. spoiler. Yeah. And there's a big ship here yeah. in a way that is, I would say it's way more it's it's kind of innocent yeah in a sense because it's very first time for both of them but it's kj and mac yeah i have to say that i got to it was it was teased at one point early on 
where it was KJ saw the vision of the two of them kissing. Yes. And then Mac freaked out. But then it's like issue twenty five because the cover is the the cover is the bottom half of them. It's their legs. One's bent in toward the other, and it's clear that maybe something's going on there, or it hinted because we had seen that. And even me, who is not a shipper type, <gasps> was like kind of squeeing a little bit. I was kind of like, yes. I was like very happy that that happened. I just, I don't know. I just saw that. I was like, oh, this is so cool. So, and it was just so like. It's two pages where they kiss. The kiss is almost the full page. Mm-hmm. They kiss for another panel, look at each other, and it's just that weird sort of... There's no dialogue in the second page. They're just kind of looking at each other like, we know what just happened, but we don't know what just happened. Mm-hmm. Which seems so natural. Like, they're not freaked out as it like, you know, neither one is going to hurt the the other they're not going to embrace again and passionately make out. <laughs> yeah. But they're, but they're slightly confused because they know that this felt right. Yeah. It's just, there, there's so much emotion on that page mm-hmm. and there's so much going on between them. And then they're interrupted by, uh, by both Tiffany's. <laughs> they sure are. Congratulations. And <laughs> yeah. And then they're interrupted by, uh, yeah. by security. Yep. So what, I don't know, like, what was, was that your reaction? Were you like all like, were you, I was actually excited. Yeah. I was this, excited this, to see <laughs> this is, this is a complicated ship in my opinion. If only because, um, it was sort of not really forced upon KJ, but just like the, like the knowledge is open before her before I think, you know, at that age i feel like people are still mm-hmm. probably struggling with their sexuality so i guess that's nice that she got kind of the easy way of that confused me but wait that makes me oh okay and then kind of went but it was almost like fighting destiny because she mac found out and was pretty sickened by you know hearing that yeah. but then kind of rolled with destiny there so that first uh the first kiss I think I didn't have like, you know, sometimes I get butterflies. The first one I didn't as much because I was just I was a little conflicted about it because I felt like they were just feeding into their destiny or like going with it because they knew that's what was going to happen. Though the whole emotion on the right page made me feel a bit better because leading up to this, their seeds are kind of sown because uh, Mac uses the other F word, as KJ says, Uh, I think during hell morning um she calls somebody and i think kj is the one who says you shouldn't use that other f word and then Mm -hmm. when they find out in the sewers that heck um the guy who got killed jude was heck's boyfriend uh mac is the one that says you are gross and kj is the one that's like mac don't say that sort of thing so there are seeds kind of sown there like what's is she really like against you know queer culture or is it one of those like does she protest too much you know that sort of thing yeah um so it's just very conflicting that first kiss but you're right with that emotion and i think a lot of it of like there is that surprise and i kind of read into it that they're like it does feel right and i think that uh they actually are maybe are surprised that you know it feels uh like they have emotion for each other and feelings for each other it's that second kiss though that really got to me when they were all separated and then there it's like 1831 i don't remember what the year was and kj comes through and then they do the test of how do we know it's the real kj and she says that mac 
tastes like cigarettes and like ultra bright toothpaste or whatever. <laughs> and then that second kiss, I did actually get butterflies because I felt like, you know, the reunited KJ has yeah. been calling her girlfriend, even though, you know, they've been uh, separated and they had held hands and everything. So you see that development. So it's it's complicated in the beginning, just of like everything was kind of thrust upon KJ. I, I feel like, you know, a 12 year old wouldn't necessarily understand like what she had seen. She had to grow up so mm-hmm. quickly, which I think is also the fact that she. I assume got her first period there is so symbolic as well. She did, yes. Um, that's just like a, yeah. a, a huge thing of like she is now understanding a part of herself and she's also becoming a woman at the same time. And then leaning into the fate was just interesting. But yeah, it's a second kiss. But it's it's really interesting. You know, the, the first one was also like, oh, they're 12 year olds and they're kissing because I'm not sure what to think about that. Um, but overall, no, I, you're right. It's sweet. It's not like sexualized or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, it's it's really well done. And like you, when I saw that cover, I was like, oh, it's happening. So it was it was yeah. nice to have a ship. And I think that they are really well developed. I am. Um, the other thing is, is that Max use of that other F word, <laughs> which is a gay slur. Yes. That's that's what we mean yeah. by the other F word is actually very on point for 1988. That okay. was a word that got used by a lot of people. You know, I'm I'm a year younger than these characters would be. Okay. Because they were all they, I was 11 in 1988, and they were all 12. That was a word I heard a lot. Mm. I knew it meant gay, and it was a gay slur even at that age. I also knew that people used it in the same way that they would use a word that begins with R, that um, is a way of calling somebody. Used to be calling somebody stupid. You know, yes. That's, yeah. And it was also a way of calling somebody, uh, you know, the word that begins with a P that is uh, another word for a cat, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So it was, it was a very commonly used word in the 80s. You actually see it in quite a number of 80s films. Her reaction, I think, is also pretty on point because homosexuality in the 80s was really something that um, was not something that anybody in a suburban community like Sony Stony Stream would admit to Mm. i mean people did but we have like i teach out gay non-binary and trans students Mm. in 1988 probably wouldn't have been the case yeah you know it's or you wouldn't have known about it no, I wouldn't have known yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the people, people really, really hit inside. The there were mm-hmm. people who I went to high school with. There were maybe one or two people who you knew who were who were who were out in the sense that everybody, when they finally actually came out, came out. Everybody knew. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, I, I heard you know so and so is gay, and I remember my sister telling me, "Did you know that like you know so and so came out? I saw him with his boyfriend, and I looked straight at her. And I said I knew he was gay when he was in the second grade." Um, you know, because he was a, we were friends or whatever, and it's just like one of those things where, like, when you when you grow up, and then you know when they're in you know high school, and this this one this one guy, um, and he, he came out later, and he he's married right now, and I'm just like, you know, you go back and you're like, oh yeah, it made total sense. It was not, and I wasn't saying it as a as a slur, um, but so there were a couple of guys, mostly guys, and a couple of girls in my high school who like never really outwardly said it, but you knew, kind of like Ricky Vasquez. Oh yeah, yep. Because remember, Ricky Vasquez doesn't say he's gay mm-hmm. until the very end yeah. of the show. And um, in fact, I'm listening to a great – just to plug a podcast <laughs> about my so-called life. It's called The Boiler Room, mm-hmm. and it's these two women going through every episode, and it is just 
phenomenal podcasting and it's outstanding but i have i i stand that show and always will so um but ricky vasquez's arc is very similar to what you would have seen in the early 90s like you know somebody who is assumed to be gay yeah. but doesn't outwardly say it go back five years six years from when that takes place and it was very rare in the summers mm-hmm. where you would have somebody who was gay so her reaction to that is either she might have an idea that she is but she's you know she's 12 years yeah. old so you're right she hasn't really discovered that about her yet and so her reaction is like ew mm-hmm. but at the same time you know um when she, before they kiss, she says, Max says to KJ, like this rooftop, this is where you had your first vision of us kissing, isn't it? And KJ just kind of looks at her like a little scared mm-hmm. because of the way, probably of the way Max freaked out. And then she says, well, then I guess we do. And then they kiss. So there's something in that. Yeah. I think it's interesting if- also after the EU comment in the sewers that Heck said, you know, that's why that your time period is so like terrible, you know. Don't worry about it. But their time period, and it was mentioned later that, you know, people are accepting and they even love us, I think, is is what Jude says at one point. So it is interesting to go about like there's clearly political and social comment. You know, there are signs mm-hmm. on the lawn. There's, you know, that Trump yeah. mess, <laughs> which always yeah. gets me at the end of that one issue. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's true. Scary. It's true that, you know, people groups were not as well accepted. And there are some like commentaries on uh, black relationships with the political police as well like um tiffany kind of makes that reference in 1958 that Mm -hmm. one kid does so there's there's a lot of stuff that's in here that um i think is not pushing an agenda but makes sense for the time periods that um vaughn is actually investigating yeah vaughn and chang i gotta give him credit and it's very nuanced too i think that's what the storytelling is that the fact that they concede this kiss and this shipping between the two of them and have it have happen amidst all of it, all this crazy action that's going <laughs> yeah. on, because we're building to this is issue twenty five. Yeah. We're only about four more issues mm-hmm. left. And the climax of and the climax of the storyline happens in issue twenty nine. Um we'll talk about the last issue in a little bit. But it feels organic in that it's not like we put everything on pause so they can kiss and we go back in. It's like it, it happened and we go back into it and it's almost seamless. I do have to wonder, because of the scene where she gets her period way back in like caveman times. Yeah. Where it's like blood trickling down her mm-hmm. leg. Um, is that men writing women, or is that would a woman write this better? I mean, it just because you know, because it is two men writing and drawing this. Is Vaughn getting it right completely? Is he missing something? Uh, you know, what I'm going to ask you that that would happen specifically would, would that happen or 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 the way the way a couple or just in general like you know is is Vaughn doing a good job of writing women and writing girls or would a would a woman writer uh you know like a Becky Cloonan or a or a or, or yeah. other writers if Jen yeah. Van Meter or somebody would they have a better grasp um you know I think overall I think it it, it works well I mean uh, physically, that is what would happen unless you had, you know, some sort of system to catch it, which later yeah, on yeah, she has yeah, to, of course, course, use the um, the handkerchief that Mac mm-hmm. makes fun of. I think the only exception that I would potentially uh, or the only detail I would add is 
there's probably going to be like some physical discomfiture, um, especially with your first one. Yeah, cramps or or whatever, Mm -hmm. especially with your first one um, that, you know, potentially I would have added that maybe uh, Vaughn didn't necessarily go into. But maybe he also didn't want to like highlight it, highlight it. I think it is a Mm -hmm. really important moment. It seems like it happens randomly, but I think it ties in well with the vision that she had. Um, So it's good. I think that they have it how it is without like really bringing a lot of attention to because I mean Mac already gives enough attention because she says that you know my brother says that women who are on the rag are crazy and she like has all that stuff so I think for the for the most part and even you know what pre-tween kids might think of what it's like I I think makes sense maybe just like the discomfiture like I said might have been a detail I would add yeah yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to think of like, you know, God, I learned about that stuff, <laughs> family life curriculum sure. or whatever. I know that if, I know that if a lot of girls my age back then may have read various, some Judy Bloom books uh, and cause, cause it's, it's very, I, I have not read beyond the, the two or three books that boys tended to read by her, which were tales of a fourth grade, nothing and super fudge. But, um, and some of the other ones, I know that there's references to puberty in that regard. So, um, it might be worth checking out at least, you know, on a required reading level, <laughs> but, uh, like forever. Yeah. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret or something like yeah. that. Um, but no, I just wanted, I was just curious about that. So moving on, um, let's talk about Max. Mac, Mac gets this, uh, diagnosis like she early on we find out when they're in the future and they go around to their various places mac knocks on the door of her parents house in stony stream and finds out that she, that in 2016 she's dead mm-hmm. um so we know it's not a spoiler to say that mac finds out that she's dead because it happens very very early on in the series it's Assume that it's cancer. Later on, we it is cancer, but it's cancer. Can't cancer? Cancer only that only like time travelers get because like the cancer she thinks she has, they actually have a cure for in the far future, and she goes and she has the scan done and everything. But it turns out it's not that. That's just kind of the cover story. Um, And then later on, um, in the very final arc, the four girls are split up into different time periods. And Mac gets flung all the way back, I think, to like the end of time. Mm. If I'm no, it's the end. It's the end of the, the um, of Earth. It's the end of yeah. Earth. Okay, yeah. So it's the end of Earth because the only person there is Dr. Bronstein. Correct. Who is um, dying of the same cancer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was this coincidental or is there a connection between Dr. Bronstein and and Mac that we that we are uh, that we need that we should be reading? Ooh, I think it's. I don't think anything in this book is coincidental, to be honest. I think having them together, obviously suffering from the same sickness, cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like four DC or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, it, man, I, well, I hope we talk about that just because, man, you wish for the end of it to be okay, but it's not going to be. But anyways, I think the other reason why they are paired together is that they are pioneers in their own field. Bronstein is the one who invented time travel, 
And Mac was the first girl in their neighborhood to take over that route. And potentially, I mean, because I, she is lauded as a legend. She took it from her brother. And so that paved the way for the other girls. So in these weird dimensions, they are pioneers in their own little lives. And I feel like that is a way for them to uh, to be brought together in the end like that. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a, uh, probably the best way to put it. I was, you know, I, I, I and, and the fact that they're both redheads. <laughs> yeah. You wonder if there is a connection that there's a familiar relation, but even if yeah. there isn't, that's a really good way to connect the two of them. And toward the end, we get future KJ. Mm-hmm. And I believe Tiffany and Aaron as well. Two Aaron's? Working. Yeah, two Aaron's, you know, Aaron clone. There's a lot of Aaron's walking around. <laughs> it sure book. is, yeah. It's like at the end of 26, 27, and 27, we meet, um, you know, we see, we see the backstory in the 50s. We see all these things that are going on. Um, we get, finally get like this future KJ who is just kind of like, you know, I don't know, what was, th- that was an interesting characterization to me. What was your, what was your take she, on her? She, like, lack of emotion, very cool towards others Mm -hmm. which i feel like is different from the kj that we had been reading alongside just that she is very passionate about everything um so yeah very different which she doesn't have a lot of screen time which i think is potentially fine um but i wasn't she the one who said like it's okay you'll you know you'll make plenty of friends which i thought that's the worst thing to say right now you're about to brainwash them They'll lose their friendship, yeah. but hey, that's okay because they're going to. So it, she's completely different, I think, that clone than the KJ that we had been with. So I think it just shows that um, clone, you know, science doesn't necessarily replicate the soul. It's just, you know, the body and the DNA, and they just change to be, I guess, whatever they are in that particular environment. So not my favorite uh, KJ, but it was an interesting moment when Mac realizes who it is. Yeah. I also realized that I also like the fact that um, at one point in issue 29, Tiffany is yelling at them, like, why don't you just try to get yep. just send us back to f- stop us from finding the stupid time machine in K- future KJ is like we tried millions of times. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she's not lying. Like, yep. it's this this look of resignation on her face, like she's so frustrated that it has to come to this and that they, they are these girls are so intertwined with this war now. Um, where they were innocently dragged into it, and um, and that's right before the because I know you taste like cigarettes and ultra bright toothpaste. Yeah, line, which yes, they do love and that kiss. Um, but then we get the um, the future Japo and mm. Wari, the grandfather and the grandmother. I can't remember her title. She's well, he thinks that it's his sister. Yeah. So, um, and he's kind of the villain. Yeah. Of the whole thing, but she is like a she she like rules over him or whatever or she's there's something very Moscatana about her. I'm like she's this kind of this odd woman who um, he eventually realizes this is actual mother, Mm -hmm. but she's this sort of gentle old lady toward the end. At the same time, she's pretty fierce herself. But him as a villain, it, it, with all the time travel stuff that gets confusing, <laughs> and him kind of having gone off the rails, I, I it, it took me a couple of reads to see that you know how well that actually did work. Mm-hmm. He 
was a little more developed than I'd say like your mustache twir- twirling supervillain. And I think he does come to the epiphany at the end. But at the same time, I I don't know. I, I, I didn't really care as much of whether or not he was a villain in the piece because I cared so much about the, ca- the, the our heroes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So they... They just needed an antagonist in my mind. I don't know. Yeah, and he's just this staunch, like, older generation guy that is like, Mm -hmm. I don't care for rule breakers. I don't care for these kids that are on my lawn. Uh, Just ultra conservative. So it's, you know, there's got to be some sort of commentary there for sure. Uh, Yeah, I didn't have a connection with him, which sounds weird because you still, you know, even with the villains, Alias, let's talk about Alias, Tom, you and I mm-hmm. both love that show. I mean, Sloan, yes. you, we had, oh, you so had, a, I know, but you have a passion to hate him. So it's still, but yeah. you know, you want him to be gone. But at the same time, you're like, no, you, you know, it's Sloan. I didn't necessarily have that passion for a grandfather, a.k.a. Joppo here. Um, and when his scenes were going on, I would say like his were the, the least interesting scenes for me, not because they were poorly written, because obviously they were important, but just because you're right. I want to be with our four protagonists. Um, but at the end, it is nice. I think it, it gives some hope that there is that reconciliation. So perhaps, you know, there's hope that. Uh, older and younger generations are able to meet each other somehow uh, in the in the real world. That's that's what I'm hoping. So uh, it yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think in in your uh, thought of him. Yeah, he and he's, he is also a kind of a plot device to give us help us get some background on what this actual time travel fighting yes. war thing yep. is. You know, so he is he is also an exposition device, which I'm fine with. Yeah. And and I'm glad that he didn't get like his own issue or anything that that you know that that they realized that they used him to what for what he was used for, yeah. and it never took the focus away from that. The only thing I would want, uh, which kind of contradicts your not uh, an issue on his, is just to better understand. I think the power structure of what's going on, you know, with the cathedral and everything, and who the yeah. cardinals are. Prioris, it seems like he may have had a romantic relationship with her. You couldn't really tell though. So just like that would have been interesting to dive into, but I agree with you. I don't want like a full, you know, aside on it, but just like, mm-hmm. could you explain a little bit more what that is? Yeah, because we're, we're really getting it piecemeal from when they intersect with the girls, yeah. because the girls are our focus. And there's still a so president no... of the United States, which confused me. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not like we have a really good outline of how the history went yeah. between, you know, 20, 1988 and whenever yep. the, that year was. Um but it's again the story doesn't the way the story is told doesn't really lend itself well to that and that would be a real break in the story it would slow things down quite a bit. So, all right, so let's talk about the end. Oh boy. <laughs> um, so issue twenty nine, <clears throat> after being separated, meeting uh, and, and Tiffany and Aaron meeting future selves and stuff like that, and um, they all end up back at Stony Stream in like pioneer days, basically. Like, probably right around the founding, the time of the founding of the town. Um, the girls end up there. The three future versions plus the Aaron clone end <laughs> up there. They bring Grandfather forth there. And um, they essentially come to a resolution that they're going to end time travel. That it's doing too much 
The war has done too much damage. We have this power. We cannot use it. Um, and uh, and then when he's all like, uh, no, I've never fallen for this trick before, and they bust out the <laughs> the 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 big green orbs with the eye tentacles, <laughs> and it and it shows him yeah. it reveals to him the truth about his mother mm-hmm. and then he says you know the, the time isn't on the stones were wrong time is not on anyone's side is it which is clever and they and kj future kj says for what it's worth it took us thousands of years to finally learn that lesson and he agrees to it and they essentially they they, they it ends and that's that's it but the girls have to essentially they have to men in black them yeah. you know they have to wipe their memories of what happens meaning that they cannot remember anything, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect the time stream too much. But they're also not going to end up being friends because in every possible future they encountered, they were never friends after mm-hmm. 1988. After, in fact, I don't think they were really ever friends after that yeah. night. And Mac says, I vote we get out of the brainwashing already. And they start sending them back in time after this really sweet moment of the four of them just kind of standing around holding mm-hmm. hands and... But it's but it's cut off. Like what Mac was about to say is cut off, and KJ's all like, "I didn't get to say goodbye," and they're like, "Well, don't worry, you're not going to feel that anyway." Right before it, on the second to last page, because the last page is uh, the last page is Aaron's the last one left. Tiffany says, "We're not just paper girls." Where, and that gets cut off, mm. and she's Tiffany's holding the apple box, yep. and then. Aaron says what Eve did, and I think this is a callback to one of her dreams. What Eve did in the Garden of Eden, I don't think it was evil. It was smart, it was right, which is eating the fruit from the Tree of Knowledge. Mm -hmm. And future Aaron says, does anyone know what she's talking about? Clone Aaron says, the first mythical first woman from their Bible. Don't worry, beautiful. That's that's another silly story written by a bunch of dudes. (laughs) Although I think the illusion is that, like, you know, they're basically that she's saying that like, you know, having this information, which is basically what they did, you know, they were, they bit into the, you know, they found out things they were never supposed to find out. She's kind of like fine with mm-hmm. that. She doesn't, she's not going to, she's not going to feel guilt. It's almost a little bit of defiance there. Um, is it an apt illusion? Oh, to, to the Bible. To, to, to Eve. Yeah. It, you know, this connects back to, gosh, a required reading episode. <laughs> Both really? doubt and the one we did previously about you know knowledge and everything, um, because I think they're partially right and partially wrong just in regards to what knowledge they hold on to. I think it's true that KJ over time, probably knowing that she had killed someone, I think would have weighed on her. Mac, mm-hmm. knowing that she was going to die soon, that was going to weigh on her. But yeah, the whole but you know on the positive you have the um or the positive side of remembering you have that they will not be friends anymore so yeah knowing knowledge um that was a smart thing to do mm-hmm. uh yes and no i mean obviously you know biblically the, it it all turned to crap afterwards 
cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's the you know that's the thing. You may have been gifted with knowledge, but there was a huge uh, cost to that, unfortunately. And so, I, I guess weighing it, uh, the knowledge is that they can keep their friendship, but I think that it would be detrimental to some of them. But uh, I guess should I just stop there? Are we going to talk about the the rest of the, what happens? Yeah, okay. yeah, I was just about to get into Okay, so I'll just, yeah, I will stop there. So I can understand it, but it's still, it's like really hard to watch all of that go down. There's that cute moment between KJ and Mac where KJ says, can we at least keep the good memories? And, you know, she's yeah. holding Mac's hand, <laughs> and then she says, like, my boots. <laughs> and then Mac says, I hate you, oh, which, is a, which is a cute moment. But, the, yeah, that Tiffany is just trying really hard you know to say we're not just paper girls we're friends which connects of course to kind of the dream maker or becoming i guess a dream woman and and being able to send these thoughts to them so here's hoping mm-hmm. so when that happened in the end of the 29th issue did you expect Ooh. the 30th issue to be as pedestrian as it is <laughs> because it's it's a resolution yeah it's falling action and resolution. And first, I wasn't expecting it to be that. I was expecting that there was something else, mm-hmm. last conflict, and I didn't realize that was the last conflict. But then when I went back and reread it, when I read the 30th issue, then I went back and read 29 and 30, and then when I read the whole series, I was like, good God, I love this the yeah. last issue. Partially because it's a replay of November 1st, 1988. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens with a very funny dream. Yeah where they're at KJ's bar mitzvah <laughs> and Tiffany comes in dressed as like Arnold Schwarzenegger from yeah. and is saying, uh, and says, remember, we're not just paper girls where, and then we never, we never, uh, got the, the end of that, but it's obviously the end of it was friends. Yeah. And uh, and they're about to kiss for a third time. She says, Mac, you love me. And she says, I do. <laughs> and they're about to kiss. And Mac wakes yep. up. And, uh, you know, he she's overslept. And they all go out on their paper routes. And KJ had a similar dream. So, that, you know, like, she had a similar dream as mm-hmm. Mac did. So did Tiffany. Like, they all had the same yep. dream. And right away, there are tiny little hints that this is going to be different from this mm-hmm. point on. And it starts with Tiff had fallen asleep on the couch in front of Arkanoid again. Yes. And she's on round 36. She says, another 15 minutes, I could probably best it or at least figure out a way to. And then she looks at it. She looks at the Nintendo. She, she goes, what is wrong with you? And turns off the mm-hmm. game. And then, you know, Aaron, Aaron has the scar. Yep. And they meet up with one another, you know, welcome to the future, et cetera, et cetera. They come across the guys with the, the shaving cream etc and then you hear you get the same shot from the first issue i'll have to see if it's statted yeah it's pretty much the, it's the same exact oh no it's different it's a similar shot to the first issue in the first issue the boys are harassing Aaron, and mac pulls up with tiffany and kj behind her and mac says cool costume you you cool costume you you know word edward yeah. In the th- issue 30, the boys are harassing Casey. Oh. And Mac pulls up. Tiffany is where she was in the original scene, but Aaron's behind her now. Yeah, and? She says, cool. Oh. She says, cool costume, you, you. 
fart. Yes, now. I just realized that she changed that. Oh man. Okay. And if you weren't paying attention, or if you were blowing through this, or you hadn't, if if you had been reading it all the way through, and I honestly just noticed, I I had noticed the fart mouth yes. thing prior, but I just noticed the placement of the characters as we're going through this. So like I said, you reread this and reread this, and you're like, holy crap, there's all this other yep. stuff, and there's all these little hints that maybe something worked. And then you get the like the one big moment here that kind of proves that it will, which is they're riding in the street and a car comes up behind them and honks its horn, and she and Tiff and, and Max like go around a hole and Tiff says, "Oh man, not the station wagon again!" And the thing almost hits them. You know, some lady a few days ago, I think she was tried following me and I had to, and then she goes right in front of them, hits her brakes, Aaron wipes out right behind her. And these teenagers who are dressed in Karate Kid-esque skeleton costumes, because they look like the Cobra Kai skeleton costumes, drinking, come flying by on a Jeep. And it's obvious that the woman in the station wagon, uh, like, saved them from being hit. And they cut to the woman driving it, and it's Wari, even with the face paint. Yeah, and I feel like the um, the license plate, it seemed like it was a reference to... uh Dr. Bronstein. Yeah, it was 84, something 84BRN. Yeah, but anyways. I didn't get the whole, uh, which, 884BRN, which, yeah, probably a Bronstein reference. And then they go on, and and they're like, may I have a cigarette? (laughs) They they all smoke or whatever, and and they're they're doing their whole thing about the papers, and they're talking, and they're just kind of having, like, idle conversation and stuff, even though there's, like, a pregnant pause between a lot of their moments and stuff. There is a tension hanging in the air in this whole Mm -hmm. scene, and they go their separate ways, and we get this panning out of... Aaron's saying by the street corner, them going their four separate ways. We pan out, we pan out, we pan out to like all the way out to the universe. And we hear one of them say, wait, you guys hold up. And then they ride away together. And it's like something in the cosmos, whether it was Tiffany saying, well, all these friends, whether it's Wari jumping in and, and allowing that to happen because she kind of played by her own rules anyway, allows them and like you, they ride off into the sunrise because it's early in the morning and they're, and they're going to be, you have a feeling that they'll be friends mm-hmm. uh, and it's been changed for the better because it needed to. And I just, I love that ending. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of my greatest fears which I think was one of KJ and Max greatest fears also is where is that relationship going to go? And mm-hmm. uh, obviously that dream, I think, seeded something. And I, I remember, you know, her brother calls her like Butch at one point and yeah. she makes no retort. She kind of looks at him when she meets up with Tiffany first. I think she asks, you know, have you seen KJ? And then I sort of just keep track of them like they're next to each other on the swings. Yeah. At the end, Mac punches KJ and says, uh, what was it? Yellow punch buggy or whatever it was yeah yeah, i I did keep track of them which was nice but you know you said you know it's falling action but i think this is their final mission um the final thing that Mm. they had to overcome because of course this whole thing has been intense but the greatest thing of all that it seemed that they had to overcome was almost their fate or destiny to lose track of one another and so i think in the end they're able to 
somehow, you know, uh, give the middle finger to fate. Well, with the help of Wari, for sure. And hopefully yeah. stay connected, because I think there is that moment that you had the what if of, well, they just went off and that was it. But because Aaron calls mm-hmm. them all back and says, hey, you know, I've got another hour before I have to get ready for school. And then they hang out. You're hoping that that bonds them. Uh, for a while yeah. so I'm it's it's a I love the ending it's still a bit of a gut punch for me just because they did go through all of this stuff and they bonded so well mm-hmm. that you know they lost that but there is hope and then my other thing is just knowing that Mac is in fact going to die I think there is the hope that something would happen you know there's that almost that you're going to yeah. get cured but it's just not going to happen which I do still kind of like that it's not you know all wrapped up but it it is, you know, sad that um, she's not going to make it out. Yeah, it's like I feel like Wari is giving them the chance that they at least the chance they yes. deserve to yep. have after all that, and 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 paying them back for how they helped yep. her to, you know, which is a deep callback. Um, also, I got the feeling that KJ and Mac will end up together, which even if it's not, even if they don't kiss, you know, this evening. Yeah. There is that sense, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you feel the tension so, there, yeah. you feel that. And I like that because I felt that if he had not put that in there, it would have been almost the barrier gaze. Yeah. Because the relationship would have effectively been killed at the end of the last issue because their memories had been mm-hmm. wiped. And even though they didn't kill either of them literally, it's like, you know, oh, you could have this relationship but now we have to wipe everything, so the so the the, the you know the girl the girl's kissing it's 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 gone and you know back to your you know back to your mundane suburban life mm-hmm. and I feel that he uh, subverted that yeah um and then that we know that and that we know that it will happen down the road which which I really appreciate but the timetable is think- not accelerated so you kind of wonder what their coming out will even you know look like because they yeah. were forced kind yeah. of before so it'd be interesting yeah. Yeah, but I, I get the feeling it'll happen, and it might not blossom into a fully fledged love relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because there are twelve years, thirteen years, yeah, old, so you true. know, it, it is what it is. But at the same time, they'll, they'll still be allowed to have that moment. And um, I think there's a lot of hope in the beginning because they're riding off into the sunrise. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just that symbolism of there something is going to happen. Like that, that they are, even if they end up after high school going their separate ways at some point, you know, they're not friends forever, but that after this night there's something else for them yeah yeah i don't think it's paper girls too i think <laughs> it's more along the lines of just like you know what teenage girls go yeah. through that has nothing to do with supernatural or time travel <laughs> but it's still uh, yeah but you're right it's still this was you're right that this was their last mission in that regard but they're off on another adventure so i was really satisfied with the ending the whole series i just absolutely, absolutely. love this all right well i think we did it <laughs> Yeah, I so, think so. I, I think mean, we could probably talk yeah. about this for a long time, yeah. to be honest. But yeah. yeah, yeah, from from paper to paper, or paper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so before I let you go, could you please tell everyone where they can find Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Well, Tom and I, of course, have our very own literature podcast called Required Ooh. Reading with Tom and Stella. I don't know why he's got top billing, but he does. And you can find me. I mean, that comes out every month on a Tuesday. And 
I have my own show called Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, where I have been following Barbara Gordon since her first appearance. And I am currently in the year 2000. So I've been doing some Cassandra Kane Batgirl and some Birds of Prey in the Chuck Dixon era. And yeah, that's basically where you can find me. And uh, you can find me back here by myself oh. to wrap things up after this break. See, that's a professional <laughs> segue right sure. there. I'm going to segue right into a trailer, so I will be right back after this. this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. walking across and, and you know what? Men too. Well, uh, uh, Stella. serious men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers, pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas? As much as I enjoy um, indulging your insanity, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh yes, required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome.
And I'd like to thank Stella for coming on this episode. I really enjoyed our conversation. I urge you to check out Batgirl the Oracle as well as Required Reading. Plus, you really should go out and pick up Paper Girls. It's easily available in trade and digitally, and it's one of the best comics I've read in recent years. Next time around, I'm staying in science fiction and having a guest along with me as Gene Hendricks and I beam up to the bridge of the Enterprise and talk about our love of the original crew Star Trek films, starting with Star Trek The Motion Picture and ending with Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, as well as their novelizations. Until then, don't forget to check out the blog. I've been posting more essays between episodes, so there's new content. And a new episode of Fallen Walls Open Curtains will drop in August as well. Until then, thanks as always for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness. Kriegsminister gibt's nicht.